the smooth melodic sounds of indie pop, R&B group, chamber music on keyboards and the leader of the band, outgoing indie chamber president, Michael Huber. Music impacts a city like few other things. And it also um, goes a long way in helping us retain talent, especially young talent, and then attract new from the outside. Huber's passion for music may explain why he hit a chord with business leaders in creating a regional growth strategy. Metros are really driving the U.S. economy now, and metros are regional. Um, our, our sectors and companies like Eli Lilly and Rolls-Royce, they don't differentiate between city municipal boundaries. It's all about regions. Now Michael Huber is preparing to tackle a new beat, taking on a big leadership role at Indiana University. He's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Thanks for joining us on this edition, episode 87 of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. You could say Michael Huber's entire life has been about finding good rhythm, whether it be in business or music. His journey began in the small city of Hillsboro, Illinois, about an hour northeast of St. Louis. Hilly, scenic country with two popular lakes nearby. It's where Huber first started sharing his musical talents as a 10-year-old at church, something he also did as an adult at St. Mary Catholic Church in Indianapolis. Michael earned a degree in social policy from Northwestern University and a master's from the IU Kelly School of Business. He'll be returning to IU, taking on an important new role as vice president of university relations after serving nine years as president and CEO of the Indy Chamber. And Mike Huber, it is great to have you on the podcast. Thanks uh, thanks for joining me. It's great to be here, Gary. Gary, I got I got I know this is your show. I got to tell you a story real quick. This 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 is sort of coming full circle with that intro. So, I was a Kelly School of Business student in 2004 and you we met. You're, there's no way you're going to remember this. My classmate, who's been a great friend of mine, Brian Carey, up in the Chicagoland area, was working on a project for you with some MBA students. But here's what I want. This, this whole IU experience makes me, it, it triggered this memory. You spoke to the students and you took time for every one of us as if we were like a guest on your show. And that was oh. years before we actually kind of reconnected. But, you know, you know especially when you're younger, that that stays with you. So, that, sorry. You you triggered that memory of me meeting you when I was down in Bloomington as a Kelly student. I just wanted to, to share that. I love it. That made my day. I, I like that. And I love uh, thinking about those memories of speaking to college classes and students and those kinds of things. So I appreciate you appreciate you bringing it up. And speaking of uh, kind of returning home, in a sense, you're headed back to IU now in a very important role. Uh, I know I read where you weren't you weren't looking to leave the Indy Chamber. You weren't looking for another job. Uh, but you took this. What did Pam Witten say or what or, or is there something about what's going on at IU that really uh, did the trick? First time that we met to discuss this opportunity was only a few weeks ago. And President Witten said, if you're passionate about growing Indianapolis's economy and then the state's economy, there's no better way to do that than at IU. And she said the states with the best public universities 
are the states with the best economies for attracting and retaining talent. And she was like, tell me where I'm wrong. And I kind of thought that's, that's, that's a good point. And it just, I mean, you know, you've spoken to her a number of times and hosted her. She's very entrepreneurial. She um, appreciates the role of the, of the faculty. She is just bringing a different kind of energy. And I had never considered working for an academic institution before. I'm not a professor, but you just see the connections between IU and communities and IU and industry. Um, it was too, too exciting to pass up. Michael, what, in your view, for folks who may not know, because I'm of the opinion that you look at Indiana uh, w- with great state universities like like IU and Purdue, not to mention, you know, the Ball States and others of the world, a co- community college system in, in um, Ivy Tech, and you've got Vincennes, you've got private institutions like Notre Dame and, and, and others, the potential to connect with the Indiana economy, metro areas, but also rural areas around the state would seem to be off the charts. In your view, as you look at what you're going to be doing, what do you think the potential is? What could the ultimate impacts be from what you're going to be doing at IU? I think, and not exaggerating, there's a potential to to take the great resources of IU, especially in research and development fields, in medicine, and impact tens of thousands of jobs, I think in in the short term, that is through building off of the uh, great startup companies that have come out of uh, Indiana University. You know, Gary, you've reported on this, uh, these life sciences companies that are growing um, Catalent and many, many others that have have literally come out of IU resources like the IU Ventures, which I'm excited to, to be a part of when I come into the role. So it's in part, Strengthening the connections between the university, I think, especially R&D fields and looking at how we can commercialize more technology, more partnerships with the private sector. And again, build off the nation's largest medical school here in Indianapolis. The other thing I'll mention is the announcement that President Witten and President Mitch Daniels made about a month ago. Huge potential there. And I I think people are seeing this separating IUPUI and restructuring so that both institutions can grow in their respective lanes. The impact that that could have on downtown Indianapolis in particular, at a time when we need, you know, when when at post-COVID, the office market, commercial office market nationwide, but certainly in downtown Indianapolis, hasn't fully bounced back. But you've got all of these things happening, Bottle Works and the White River and uh, Elanco. You can start to use your imagination on, about how the expansion of, IU, Indianapolis, and Purdue University could impact downtown. You mentioned uh, Purdue and that relationship with IU, two two powerhouse universities. But let's you know, let's be honest. I, I just I know there's a real feeling, and I think there's some truth to it that the level of collaboration, cooperation, perhaps has not been what it should be over the years. How do you change that? There are a lot of people who want to change that. How does that change, and and, and what could the impact be? It starts at the top. If the leaders collaborate, that sets the tone for everybody else. And again, I've had moments in the last year, especially seeing President Witten and President Daniels co-convening these conversations. I'm like, I don't, I don't remember this happening uh, before. Maybe it, maybe it did, and we just didn't know about it. And both of them setting the tone within their teams. And yeah, you know, I, I do feel it's like sports. I don't want to get in trouble with the IU alumni base, but it's like you know. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be coming into this job if I weren't inspired 
to go out and try to beat Purdue, you know, at, at you know, uh, economic development, commercialization. But I think it's almost like making sure that universities like Purdue inspire IU to be better and vice versa. That's going to have a positive impact on the state. I mean, we're very blessed in Indiana that we have these two huge public universities that have a very, um, you know, recognizable national name. Per capita, we have such an advantage over uh, many other states in terms of the graduates that we produce in-state and in terms of the out-of-state graduates that we're bringing in. I'm really excited. And here's the other thing, too. Relationships are important, and there is a high level of familiarity, not just between the two presidents, but between key staff in terms of the leadership of Indiana University and leadership of Purdue University. So I think it's all upside. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned IUPUI and that landmark change that will be taking place. I know you'll be in, involved with that. You know, quickly, I mean, can folks expect to see that change happen sooner rather than later? Or at least is that the intent to make this it thing is. happen? And then, I mean, and this is all public. Um, and this is prior to me joining the team. The president has assembled task forces made up of great faculty and community leaders that are analyzing different aspects of what the new IU Indianapolis can be. There's also an effort that I will be learning more about when I join the team that's very focused on the best practices of what other state urban research universities have accomplished. I think of Pitt, I think of places like University of Houston, where they're they're definitely urban state universities, but they've got proximity to great medical systems, they've got proximity to great, you know, R&D life sciences programs, and therefore have had a, a huge impact on their city. So I, it looks like we'll see some initial recommendations in the next year, and then, you know, a, a bigger plan rolling out here very quickly. So I'm excited to, to I'll, I'll have a lot to learn, but I'm excited to plug into that. I know you're excited about your new role at IU. And as you and I were talking before we started the podcast here, You've gotten quite a few emails in reaction to, the, to oh, the news, right? It's crazy. I mean, so, okay, so I've lived in Indianapolis for 21 years. So this is home. I'm married to a Californian, uh, Helen Huber, uh, Berkeley, Cal Berkeley undergrad, a Kelly School graduate, MBA, which is where we met. And so I knew because I had such a great experience in two years at Bloomington. I think I knew how highly regarded Indiana University is. But just in the in in the 48 hours after my new job opportunity was um, announced, I'm not exaggerating. It's in the hundreds of emails and texts from people. It's it's partly because we're in Indiana and people are very kind. I think though too, Gary, there's a reverence for Indiana University in this state that I haven't seen anywhere else. You know, growing up in Illinois, people admire University of Illinois and we have other universities, but. And it's the IU and the IU alumni network are such a tight community and it goes far beyond sports, goes far beyond music. There are so many people, influential people in business and in community leadership really rooting for the university to have a win. So it's it's really I've, I've been inspired in the past few days. It's like, how can I help the president? with these creative solutions that she's bringing to the table, but also how can I be a convener and maybe even a portal for a lot of the um, IU alumni network to participate? Yeah. And, and that uh, participation, I know you'd like to get maybe a few of those IU alums to move back to Indiana. You know, when you talk no about, doubt. About, about talent 
and you've been very vocal the fact that uh, you know how economic development has changed over the years from just building a tax base to 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 really being all about talent and, and getting the best and brightest keeping the best and brightest here what kind of a short answer i know you could go on for a long time on this but is there a short answer what 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 needs to be done there are a lot of efforts and a lot of focus on this in indiana as you look at your new role what what kinds of things you'll be looking at to to help make move the needle it's the short answer is it's that sweet spot where the quality of life of the community or communities overlaps with the job opportunities. We've just come back from Nashville, Tennessee. This, this is my last leadership exchange, and you've been an active part in leadership exchange in the past. I know Toronto, Canada before. So Indianapolis, if the Indianapolis region, and if I go farther out and look around the state, I think this is true as well. One of the great blessings of the last 20 years is the diversity of R&D jobs across life sciences, across manufacturing, across um, agriculture, tech, and fields like that. And yet, we don't have the same cultural pull. I can speak for the nine-county Indianapolis region. We don't have the same cultural pull as Denver and Nashville. And we really do compete toe-to-toe with those metros regularly. And yet, quality of life for people, for people who move to Indianapolis, I can cite multiple uh, studies of CHROs and you know directors of talent. When people move to Indiana for and they, for to, for two years, we have a very high retention rate across most of the state. So they're finding a quality of life here. So how can we illuminate that overlap? You know, it's got to be where the job opportunity matches up with the quality of life of the community. How can we turn that around into an advantage? There are some really good efforts underway with organizations like Ascend to reach uh, both in-state and out-of-state college students coming to our, our public universities. But I think that the thing is, it's it, it is a it is a marker of how much the game has changed, Gary. Because as you know, and you report on this regularly, you know, 25 years ago we were selling low cost and we were selling you know tax base, and this is a great place to grow your company. Today, if you can't make a direct pitch to the individual, um, especially the individual who's from East or West Coast or another country for whom Indiana isn't previously on the map, you, you know, you're going to be at a loss. But what better way to do that than if, they, if they're already here having a great experience, say, at Indiana University? Question on that, on the, the talent attraction, because you are so intimately involved in this. But social issues like RIFRA, the abortion bill, we see that in the news a lot. There's a Mark Minioff from Salesforce making some comments uh, recently about where they may or may not, you know, keep employees. Um, impact? What? What? Your, your reaction to these social issues and the impact potentially yeah. they could have? So the organization that I'll be leading for a few more weeks, the Indy Chamber, is on record taking several positions here and they, even taking positions in ways that I would could not have predicted several years ago. Th- this is how I'd say it because without talking about any one issue, because there's been several, several issues that people would consider social issues that have come up and have been very divisive over the years. There's no doubt that if you're a, st- a state like Indiana in the heartland and you know that to grow your economy, you have to retain our, our talent that's here and you have to be effective at attracting people from other places. And we must do both. It's not one, it's not either or. We have to go the extra mile to show people that we really do embrace diversity here. It's there, we have great communities. You're gonna be welcomed for who you are. This is particularly true in any 
tech or R&D enabled field. Uh, di- the diversity is, is much, much more of a, of a premium and it's, it's critically important. And so if the state is passing a set of policies, which in the aggregate message to people, we're, we're, we're not valuing diversity across multiple dimensions, we will be at a disadvantage. Now, some people have said to me and some elected officials have said, Michael, there's an overreaction in Indiana. The policies we are uh, passing are not any more, you'd say conservative, whatever the term is, than Texas and Florida. So people are overreacting. What I would say is Texas has a huge natural resource advantage that Indiana, they've got cities like Austin, which continue to grow. I know we're, we're in a week where the, the hurricanes and we, you know, are, and the tragedies are, are hitting Florida, but, but in general, Florida's got a lot of natural advantages too. So it's, I've, I've used, and I think this applies to um, talent attraction in general. I use the baseball analogy. It's like, it's, it's the, we're the Kansas city Royals trying to beat the New York Yankees. We've got to have all of this fully aligned. Indiana doesn't have the margin for error that some much larger states do. Now, it's and if it's if it's going to be if we are a more conservative state, and certainly I've worked for two Republicans and had great experiences, and I, I understand that there's a wing in the Republican Party that certainly is more socially conservative. But can we go? Can we go about deliberating about these policies in a much more inclusive way and show that we're listening to everybody as we go? And I mm-hmm. this is just my view. In my role as Indy Chamber, I can't be specific yeah. enough. In my role as Indy Chamber, before I go to IU, that is something that I feel has been lacking. Music is a big part of your life, right? Uh, uh, Absolutely, you know, personally and 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 professionally as well. And we're listening to the sounds of your band, Chamber Music. What? Why? Um, how would you describe music uh, and what it means to you? Again, personally, you know, you enjoy it, but but there, I think it goes beyond that. It does. So I've always been a working pianist and regularly, you know, I had for many years, um, I, I've, I've taken a few years off church music, but I know I'll go back to that. That was a staple in my life. A, comp- a accompanist for hire, which I've done a lot and even accompanist for community. I, in fact, Gary, I got to do I get my one of the most interesting things I've done this year is I got to accompany the two time Grammy winning singer Sylvia McNair. Oh, at, wow. And at an immigration and naturalization ceremony on the 1st of July that that Judge uh, uh, Barker presided Barker, yeah. over. And, and it was just it was just amazing. So I've I've been blessed because I've I've always been a working musician and had gigs like that. There was a time in my 20s and 30s when I really didn't talk about it. And I think I was I didn't want to look um, frivolous or something like that. Well, I, as I got into my late 30s and 40s, I'm like, forget it. This is who I am. You know, take it or leave it. And, you know, it, it, it makes me think a lot about, well, first of all, there's so much music in Indiana and in Indianapolis that I'm very passionate about. I want that to be more of the um, economic development story. Um, you and um, Inside Indiana Business and IBJ have recently reported on the, the best piano competitions in the world and the best violin competition in the world that happens to be here. And I'm, I'm on the board of American Pianist Association. That, that's, it's so much fun. But, you know, in addition, I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm someone who likes to work in a team and try to bring creative solutions to the table. I'm also not someone who works really well in a very hierarchical organization. And I, Gary, I think that's the influence of music. You know, it's like, huh. When you're joining a team and then you're looking around the table and you need different skill sets, you know, if you're going to make music in a group, 
you're, you're only one voice, you know, or you're only one instrument. And so, um, you know, in, in, in rock or soul music, you know, you need a great drummer, you need a great bass player. I don't play either of those instruments. And so there's, I think there's a lot of times in business when you think we, where people might approach it and say, well, I'm either going to win or I'm either, or going to, I'm going to lose. And that's almost never the case. You know what I mean? You, you, you come into a situation and it's not, I'm winning or I'm losing. It's like, here, here's, here's the play and here's my position. And I need other people with complementary skill sets around the table. I know that's a long, a long answer, but yeah. I've, I've, as I've gotten in my forties, I've become a lot more conscious of how my musical training impacts the way I approach other things. And again, I, I think, it, I think it's that, okay, I'm just one instrument. What other talents and instruments do I need to, you know, produce this, this song or this piece and make it better? Cause it's always going to be a team sport. Much more ahead with Michael Huber, the outgoing Indy Chamber CEO on his way to Indiana University. We'll talk about uh, growing up in Illinois, what got him to Indiana, and a lot more. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. This is Alex Brown. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand. This twice-daily podcast features our statewide Inside Indiana Business Radio reports with additional bonus content that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. You can listen now on the podcast page at InsideIndianaBusiness.com or subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Michael Huber, the outgoing CEO of the Indy Chamber, headed to Indiana University in a key role there, driving economic development and outreach for the university all over uh, Indiana and beyond. And Michael, I want to go back in time. So you actually grew up um, in Illinois, right? Hillsboro, Illinois, which is about, as I understand it, about an hour northeast of St. Louis. What was uh, life like growing up in Hillsboro? It was great. I mean, my uh, my father's side of the family has been in the area for, I believe, five generations. Um, my mother is actually from Piedmont, California, which is a very small city surrounded by Oakland, California. So uh, Oakland for all intents and purposes. So grew up in Hillsboro, summers going out to Oakland, California, which I really consider a second home. And um, you know, growing up in a small town, and I'm sure your guests who, you know, grew up in a small town, definitely growing up with a very nurturing family environment, feeling like people are looking out for each other, had great teachers. And I could not have predicted then that I'd be working in, you know, economic development in, you know, municipal state um, economic development, and certainly not for an academic institution. But um, it was a it was a great environment where I felt like you know your individual interests were were very much nurtured, and I also have realized how lucky I am that I had two parents who really pushed education, and I have three younger brothers um, who actually all became naval officers uh, as well. Wow. I'm the only one who didn't go navy, but um, yeah, a, a great environment to grow up in. I, I'm upset. We we lost my dad 
in uh, January of 2008, the month that I went to work for Greg Ballard. And my dad mm-hmm. also being my dad being a Navy veteran would have really liked Greg Ballard. So I, I'm, I regret that 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 connection never happened. But that's 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 uh, that's. Yeah. Life. Wow. Hey, what was like what was it like working uh, for Greg Ballard? We had him on the podcast uh, a while back and I I have always marveled at, at his service, you know, was elected a big surprise, uh, you know, non-politician, but I think he came in and he made change and, and he did things that really moved the needle for Indianapolis and Indiana. Well, what was it like uh, working for Greg Ballard? I got very lucky because um, he, he didn't have a lot of help on his campaign and he had to quickly assemble a team. And it was a team that, that skewed young because he had to go recruit people. And um, he now working with him is really interesting, Gary. He's not like any elected official that I think I will ever meet again. He is he's not only an introvert and he'll tell you he's an off the charts introvert and that's his energy level. And sometimes people kind of misunderstand him because he is an introvert. I think the most the most underrated thing about him that a lot of people don't see is how solid his management instincts are, especially when you're behind closed doors and specifically he, he brings you in to do a job and he, he tells you what the goal is, but it's clear from the get-go that he is going to empower you to use all the tools at your disposal as long as you act with integrity. He, I made a lot of mistakes in that role because certainly I was younger and things like that. And he never, ever, you know, scolded me or chastised me for making a mistake. It was just like, okay, well, you know, pick yourself up and have another go at it tomorrow. He does not micromanage people. And That is such a great environment to work in. And I think that's why the former Ballard teammates, it was always a bunker mentality all the time. And when I, you know, there's some folks that maybe I don't, I don't see them for a couple of months, but today when I see them, even though it's been now 10 years since I worked with that team, we just pick up as if it was yesterday. I think that's because of Mayor Ballard's just, I think it's military style, frankly, to really empower the executive officers and and get out of their way. And I think he had a, he had a knack for for selecting talent. I mean, you're a good example, but there are others in that administration who have gone on, multiple people who have gone on to do really substantial things. I appreciate that. You know, it again, I got very lucky. I've had a lot of right place, right time circumstances in my life, but Ballard was going to look first at the person and at his or her specific skill set for the job and was not going to let political considerations come into play. So, of course, you did. You do have people, and I have some political contacts, you do have people who, who were there who got there by volunteering on campaigns and, and things like that, but at least half of the group were attracted to his administration and had maybe had some success in business or nonprofit leadership, and that mix of people made it, for me, a great environment to work in. Let's talk about college. So, again, you grew up in Illinois, so p- perhaps a natural migration to Northwestern uh, undergrad? Did you think about other places? What were your thoughts going heading into college? Did, did you know what I, you wanted to be? I didn't. You know, I really, I haven't told this story in a long time, but I thought I wanted to be, go ROTC, you know, and be, and an, my dad was a naval officer for about a decade and then a reservist for about two decades after that, before he retired from the Navy. And so ROTC was a serious option for me. I've actually got terrible, I'm um, terribly nearsighted and it never dawned on me that I would not pass the Department of Defense medical exam. And I, you know, I was looking at other, you know, Midwestern universities and going to ROTC, but I'm incredibly grateful because I got into Northwestern University. I qualified for a lot of financial aid and, and it, it was a great environment to be in. I had to, 
my, my first couple of years were pretty rough because as I look back, I didn't have great habits. My, I had to get my act together my last two years. But I think with Northwestern, it was the experience of meeting, meeting people from all over the country and all over the world, which a lot of people get when they go to college and kind of bringing that confidence that based on my, and I think a lot of it is I'm a curious person. I'm curious about a lot of different subjects. And that's why I can't wait to get started at Indiana University and work with the faculty. There's that, you know, Ted Lasso, Gary, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, Ted, Ted Lasso, the, the scene where he says, and I think he's quoting Walt Whitman, and he says, be curious, not judgmental. And I think I learned at, at Northwestern that I could be in an environment where I was not one, maybe one of the most intelligent or book smart people, or at least I felt that way. But if I could ask the right questions, I could always navigate my way through. And I think that's an experience that continues to serve me. It's like I, I, I always try to know what I don't know. If I walk into a room, I don't have to know all the answers. But if I can keep myself in a curious frame of mind, or I don't have to get it in air quotes right, but I can at least uh, be interested enough. And again, like music, bring other people with other talents around the table to help us find, you know, navigate a direction out. Um, that, that I think is something from college days that uh, continues to serve me. Yeah. Uh, post-college. So how did you get into the uh, navigate into the economic development game? By, totally by accident. I, I, I got a job with a big, a large consulting firm out in Washington, D.C., and former Steve Goldsmith, deputy mayor, Skip Stitt, um, mm-hmm. hired me to Indianapolis. We knew each other through mutual friends to work for a firm that was putting in place a lot of the tech, the, a lot of the strategies that Steve Goldsmith was known for. And Steve's still, still a very close contact of mine. They, they called it, you know, managed competition in the 1990s. I'm sure you reported on it, making government services more competitive, sometimes through outsourcing, sometimes through insourcing, and, and just uh, looking at creative ways to innovate on government services. Through that association, I met Steve Goldsmith, I met Mitch Daniels and others. And for a 24, 25-year-old moving to Indianapolis for the first time, it was like, wow, you know, who who are these people? And And again, Indianapolis, a lot of it is based on relationships. And I'm very lucky that I came to a city at 24, 25 that they, they didn't ask what high school did you go to? You know, they, it, it was, yeah. it, um, they, it was a, a very generous group of people who helped me get connected. So I guess I came into economic development kind of through the side door. Fast forward to today, and you've seen a lot of change, been involved in a lot of change in the growth of Indianapolis. As you look at the city of Indianapolis, as you're departing your role at the Indy Chamber, what are your thoughts on the state of, of the city? And in, in particular, because I hear a lot of conversations, certainly a lot of people do, about downtown and the challenges uh, beyond office space. But the, the India has lost its mojo downtown um, in, in that the, the, the great things that, that, you know, that made the downtown so remarkable. What, in your view, what are some things that Indy needs to focus on to kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say get back on the right track, but, but to, uh, to make things a little better? So. I hear the same concerns, especially starting in 2020 with the COVID impact and things like that. And there, there is no question, Monument Circle, we need to reignite Monument Circle. I think uh, Taylor Schaefer, who will be the new, the new leader of um, downtown Indy, is going to do a great job in animating some of these public spaces that people are concerned about. We're going to see something happen on the Circle Center Mall. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I, I'm not in the inner circle there, but something's going to happen on the mall with a new ambitious development project there. We need a multi-million dollar homeless services solution that CICF and others are working on that can't happen soon enough. So I acknowledge that 
However, and there is a however, if you walk about a quarter mile in every direction from the core of downtown, you see bottle works if you go northeast. Mm -hmm. If you go a half a mile, you start to get onto Virginia Avenue and Fountain Square, which continue to boom. You've got new IU Health Campus and then 16 Tech. If you go due west, you've got the new Alanco headquarters. And, you know, you've reported on Indy 11 and 11 yeah. Park. And so I, I but I totally get it. We've got to stabilize and um, reanimate that core of the downtown. But if you go a little bit farther and new IU Indianapolis is going to be a part of this story, mm -hmm. you can actually see a great, um, a, a great story developing. And keep in mind, while the office market is a question mark and no one really knows where we're going to land, the downtown residential continues to grow and it doesn't show any signs of stopping. I do think that, and Nate Feltman has talked about this and others, coalescing around an inspiring message that people can really buy into has probably never been more important. And that is something that I will continue to advocate for you in, in my new role. Because Gary, I hear a lot of the concerns that you were talking about, a lot of some people who live in this area and live in the suburbs, right? Because then, because if, if we don't address perceptions about downtown, perceptions then become reality. Reality. Um, so, so it's like, it's like, it is really exciting. And I am still, I am still very bullish on Indianapolis. The picture is just going to look a little bit different than it did 20 years ago. Another fact is over half of our population now lives in the surrounding counties. And that is a mm. fact. And that's why the efforts of the regional mayors forming alliance, economic development and political alliances with Mayor Joe Hogsett. And this is happening, um, has never been more important. Well, I kind of wrap up uh, looking ahead and, and there's so much you have on your plate here. I'll, I'll make it a little uh, more short term, if you will. But as you look at, at, at getting into your new role here here soon, what are going to be maybe a few of the priorities you're going to have as you begin your new important role at uh, Indiana University? Visible wins with IU Indianapolis. And this is, this is the president, Pam Winton's instructions to me. Got to get some visible wins with IU Indianapolis. We need to create some more visible economic development wins. In, not just in Indianapolis, in, in other parts of the state, making sure that we're fully leveraging all the great faculty and resources of IU to create wins in community that create the jobs, move the needle on talent, um, like you're talking about, leveraging the, the tools like IU Ventures, which has got a great team, a great fund to help spin off and uh, support more startups. Um, I, I couldn't be more excited to dig in there. And then you hope that that, that flurry of activity um, builds upon a sense of momentum. And I do think Indiana University, particularly in the last year, has got that growing sense of momentum. So I guess in some ways, I want to be a connector. I want to be a champion of faculty. In some ways, I want to be an accelerator because, as you know, I like, I like to get in. I like to move fast. And I see so many opportunities to do that now with Indiana University. Michael Huber, the outgoing CEO of the Indy Chamber onto Indiana University for uh, again, a very important role and will be, I think, very visible in IU's efforts around Indiana and beyond. Michael, great to talk to you as always. Uh, thanks for your leadership. I look forward to what's next for you. Gary, I've enjoyed it so much. Thanks. Thank you. All right. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.